0: If you have a copy of the scriptures, so let me invite you to turn again to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to be doing another uh, of these biographical studies on the life of the prophets, the great writing prophets of the Old Testament, looking today at Ezekiel. And to just give us a, uh, a starting point, I'm going to read from Ezekiel 1, verses 1 through 3. Ezekiel 1 verses 1 through 3. And so let me invite you as you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading and the hearing of God's Word. Again, I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. Wherein uh, the prophet writes, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. May God bless today the reading and the hearing of his word once again. Let's join in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we contemplate again thy scriptures, we pray once more that you would give light to our eyes. By thy light, allow us to see light and help us to learn from Uh, one of these godly men of old, to learn of His character, learn of His way, uh, so that we might be uh, more closely drawn unto Christ and follow more nearly unto Him. We ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. And you may be seated. So we started in these Lord's Day afternoons a short biographical series through the major writing prophets of the Old Testament. Thus far, we've looked at Isaiah and Jeremiah. And today we look at the prophet Ezekiel uh, and we're looking at the book that bears his name. The name Ezekiel means something like God is my strength or God strengthens. And uh, throughout the entire book of Ezekiel and 48 chapters within it, uh, the name appears just twice. And we just read one of the appearances of the name in chapter 1 and verse 3, and then later on in chapter 24 and verse 4, we have the second uh, direct reference uh, to uh, the name that is given there. And so, um, other than that, we don't have any mentions of the prophet directly, not only within the book, but anywhere else within the scriptures. And so... Uh, This was a person that was mightily used of God at a particular time, but he doesn't get a lot of references outside of the the book that bears his name. Ezekiel was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. And he was also a contemporary of Daniel. And in fact, uh, he mentions Daniel by name uh, a couple of times uh, within this book. Uh, we might start with the the, the latter reference to Daniel in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 3, uh, where we read um, that God told him, Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. So just as Daniel uh, was given insights into the meaning of various visions and revelations, So Ezekiel was a man uh, who had things from God revealed unto him. And if you look at Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, he makes mention uh, of Daniel along with some of the other great holy men of God. And so, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, he says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. So he was saying that Jerusalem had become so wicked that even if godly men like Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, that still the city would fall. And he says something very similar also in chapter 14 and verse 20. Uh, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. Um, so, uh, he's a contemporary of Jeremiah, contemporary of Daniel. He, this means he was a prophet of the exile. He lived at the very last stages politically of the life of the southern king of Judah. And he was carried off into exile in Babylon. In fact, he was carried off some years before Jerusalem fell. We know that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC, but uh, he was carried off uh, into exile even before that took place. In fact, if we go back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read that he was carried off uh, into captivity during the time in which Jehoiakim, the king, had been carried off into captivity. And so apparently he had been carried away into this captivity, and after five years in Babylon, he was called to his prophetic ministry. And according to Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1, that his call to the ministry, this prophetic ministry, happened when he was apparently in his 30th year. So when he was 30 years old, and had been for five years living in Babylon, having been ripped away from his homeland was when he was called in the ministry. And that's kind of interesting because if we think about a parallel with the Lord Jesus Christ, when did Christ begin his public ministry? According to Luke chapter three and verse 23, when he was about 30 years of age. And so Ezekiel begins his public ministry at around the same time as as our Lord would. And uh, we know, again, about this time when King Jehoiakim and a group of people in the kingdom of Judah were carted away into exile. If you look over in the book of Second Kings, Second Kings and chapter 24, there's a description of what happened at this time. And so you can look at 2 Kings chapter 24 and look at uh, uh, beginning in verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house, and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and all the smiths, none remained save the poorest of the people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land, those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this this was an early uh, deportation of captives, even before Jerusalem fell. About 10,000 of the best and brightest were carted off uh, to the land of Babylon. And it seems that Ezekiel was among that group. And we know that he came from uh, probably a prominent family. Uh, We know that his father uh, probably had been a priest because he identifies himself as being a priest. If you look at verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi. And so he had come from a priestly family, much like, you remember, Jeremiah had also uh, come from a, a priestly family. And so again, they, even before Jerusalem fell, had been carried off in the first wave of those who were taken to the land of Babylon. And so uh, what did he do in Babylon? Well, he apparently tried to settle in and live his life as an exile. Um, We know that he uh, had a house. It says in Ezekiel 3 and verse 24 that God told him, Go shut thyself within thy house. We know that Ezekiel was a man who was married. He had a wife. Uh, We noted noted that Isaiah also had a wife who was called a prophetess. Whereas Jeremiah was told not to marry. And his not being married, in fact, was a symbol of uh, the fact that Israel would not be able to um, would not be able to produce children and they would go through death and destruction at the time of the uh, of the exile. But in this case, Ezekiel had a wife who apparently accompanied him as he went into exile. But sadly, we read that his wife died uh, in Babylon. So look over in Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel 24. And look, uh, starting in verse 15. Also the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead bind the tire of thine head upon thee and put on thy shoes upon thy feet and cover not thy lips and eat not the bread of men so I spake unto the people in the morning and at even my wife died and I did in the morning as I was commanded and remember we have talked about how the prophets uh, not only did they speak forth God's word but they were also called from time to time to do symbolic actions remember In Isaiah 20, how Isaiah described how for three years he walked about barefoot and naked to show the sufferings that would come upon uh, actually the people of Egypt as they were defeated. And we saw how Jeremiah, remember in chapter 18, he had to wear an old dirty belt or girdle around his waist to symbolize how Israel as a nation had filthy sins, had to cling to a righteous God. And Ezekiel also was given specific... Uh, symbolic actions or signs that he had to carry out. And one of those was his wife died and he couldn't mourn for her. And the message apparently was that that Israel and Judah had been so (coughs) sinful that even though they they would be defeated, God would show no signs of mercy or remorse or mourning for them in their sinfulness. While Ezekiel was in exile, he warned about and prophesied about the the fall of Jerusalem. Again, we believe he was probably carried off into captivity in around the year 597 B.C. And then, after being there for five years, at age 30, he started his public ministry about 592 B.C. And between that time and 586 B.C., when uh, the Jerusalem would fall to the Babylonians, he, he spent that time... Uh, prophesying about the calamity, the judgment of God that was about to come upon the land of Israel uh, by the hand of the Babylonians. And so, uh, if, if you uh, look over in chapter 40 and verse 1, he dates, for example, one of his uh, prophecies uh, as having happened some 14 years after the time of the fall. So he did ministry before the fall of Jerusalem, and then it continued after the time of Jerusalem. Um, he, he notes there in Ezekiel 40 verse 1, in the 14th year after the city was smitten. And so he had a, he had a, a ministry during a very painful, turbulent time in the life of the nation of Judah. And yet he was being trying to be faithful uh, unto the Lord. We don't know when Ezekiel died. There's no record in the scriptures of his death. But we may assume that he finished his course in Babylon. And this meant he never saw uh, with his physical eyes. He did through visions and through uh, spiritual transportations back to the land of Israel. But he never Saw again his homeland. He never saw the restoration that would take place when the Jews at, at the Edict of Cyrus would go back to their homeland. He never saw the temple rebuilt. He only received the report uh, of its uh, destruction. And so um, this was his ministry. You know, sometimes God places us in situations where um, we are in exile. We don't get to see the triumph of the gospel in our age. We don't get to see the victories of the gospel. But our call is simply to be faithful in whatever age we find ourselves. And Ezekiel provides us a model of this. Let's, let's look at, at a few of the things that Ezekiel said. One of the things, that we go back to chapter 1, is he told us in chapter 1, verse 1, that to him... The heavens were opened and he saw visions of God. And so he had a series of visions. The first recorded vision that he had was he saw God coming in a whirlwind and surrounded by four living creatures. Look at chapter one, verse four. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud. And a fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber. Out of the midst of the fire also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. So he sees this whirlwind, and it's surrounded by these angelic creatures. And he also describes, if you look a little further in verses 15 and 16, how that these living creatures were upon a wheel, one wheel. But then he says in verse 16 that it was a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And so through this symbolic vision, what he's saying is God came in a whirlwind. God can't be seen, He can't be pictured in images. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall make no graven images. Yet this is a picture of God, the God who can't be seen, the God who is all powerful. And He comes surrounded by His angelic creatures. And the the stunning thing is, Ezekiel is not in Jerusalem. He's not in the temple. He's in a foreign land. He's in a strange land. And what he's learned here is God is with him. Even though He's not in the land of Israel, God is on a wheel and a wheel within a wheel. God can go as where God pleases. God is omnipresent. God does, is not the sky God over the land of Israel. He's a God who is uh, sovereign and He's omnipresent. And He's not just the God of Israel, He's the God of the nations. And so this is what Ezekiel is learning was being revealed to him uh, while he is in exile. Uh, Ezekiel like all the prophets experiences a prophetic call. We saw this didn't we with Isaiah in Isaiah 6 as he saw the, the Lord high and lifted up uh, and, he, and he heard the Lord say uh, who will go for us who shall we send and, and Isaiah said here am I send me. We saw this with Jeremiah who said I can't go I'm too young I don't speak well and The call of Ezekiel is recorded for us in Ezekiel 2, as we read in verse starting in verse 1, and he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel. To a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. That's that's what every prophet was told. Go and speak my word to a rebellious people. Verse 5. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for their rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. Ezekiel didn't prophesy to win a popularity contest. He didn't prophesy to see, uh, or his prophecy wasn't dependent upon whether people accepted his message or not. He was going to preach it. He was going to proclaim it, whether the people listened or not. Whether he had any congregation or none. His job was to be faithful to the word that God had given to him. And he he has a vision later in this call. Look at verse 9. He looks and he sees uh, a roll of a book. And then if you go over into chapter 3, he's instructed by the Lord. Son of man. By the way, that's a term that appears throughout Ezekiel. And it's a term that our Lord will take in application to Himself. Son of man. And he's told, eat this roll. And so he symbolically eats this roll. And it's a symbol of him literally ingesting, taking into himself the word of God so that he might convey it unto the people of God. And he takes to himself a particular calling or a particular calling is given to him by the Lord. Ezekiel is called by the Lord to be a watchman. To be a guard. To be vigilant over the house of Israel. Look at chapter 3 verse 17. Son of man I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. And so he as the prophet had a duty uh, to be a watchman. Um, Again he was to speak forth God's word. He was uh, to declare God's Word. And uh, one of His purposes was to call the people to repentance. If you look at chapter 3 and verse uh, 18, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest them not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. In other words, if you don't bring My Word, I'll require the death of the wicked at your hand. Uh, however, if you if you give that word to the wicked man and he turns from his iniquity, he says in verse 19, thou, sh- thou hast delivered thy soul. Even if he rejects it, at least you've given the word uh, and you've been faithful to my commission uh, unto thee, uh, unto, uh, unto the prophet. And so um, he takes this up. Uh, not only though does he bring forth the word, by speaking, but as with the passage we already saw in chapter 24, where he was called upon not to mourn for the death of his wife, Ezekiel was given also a series of other peculiar prophetic symbols or prophetic actions to, um, to uh, play out, to act out before the people of God. And if you look over in chapter 4, we have the first one of these. Uh, This is kind of unusual. Uh, He was told basically to to create a model for the uh, city of Jerusalem. I don't know how he did it. Uh, It it says it was on a tile. I don't know if it was a drawing or he took clay figures. But he portrayed upon it the city of Jerusalem. And then he was told to lie down in front of this uh, miniature recreation of Jerusalem... And then uh, he was to, to lay on his side and he was, to, he was to set up around the city also figures that would show it being uh, uh, surrounded by its enemies and he was to put uh, build up little camps and, and, and battering rams. He makes this little miniature figure around this tile. And then look at verse 3 of Ezekiel 4. He was told to take an iron pan And set it for a while, a wall of iron between himself and the city, and to set his face against it. And he says, the Lord says to him in verse 3 of Ezekiel 4 This shall be a sign for the house of Israel. And he was to lie there on his left side for a long time. He was to lie there, if you look at verse 5, for 390 days. 390 days he was supposed to lie there. To be a symbol of the fact that the city was going to be surrounded. And the iron pan apparently meant they weren't listening to the prophet of God. And then after that long period of time was completed. uh, He was to get up and lie down on his other side. Lie down on his right side. And he was to do that for a period of 40 days. 40 days and in that case he said every one of those days you lie on your right side represent one year that there's going to be uh, spent in the exile and what he's, what he's that's a, a play on the 40 years in the wilderness you're going to go through a long period of time of exile you're going to go through a, a time where you haven't listened to God and so you're going to reap the, 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 the reward of that you're going you're gonna to be in exile and so Um, he did that symbolic action. Then if you look at chapter 5, he was called upon to do another symbolic action. This involved him going to the barber shop and cutting off his hair and and his beard. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And thou, a son of man, take thee a sharp knife, take thee a barber's razor, and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard. Then take three balances to weigh and divide the hair. Thou shalt burn with fire a third part, in the midst of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled, and thou shalt take a third part and smite about it with a knife. And a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. And so, again, this is symbolizing the destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem. A third, a third part is going to be uh, uh, burned. A third part is going to be cut up with a knife. A third part is just going to be thrown to the wind. But then he said, take a few of those hairs and bind them in your skirts, in your clothing. And of course, those would represent the remnant who would survive this terrible ordeal. And so again, uh, God was asking his prophet uh, to speak through symbolic actions. Of course, he also did some more conventional prophecy. If you look at chapter 6, uh, he was told to go and to prophesy and to say in uh, chapter 6 and verse 3, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. And he, he tells them uh, from God that God will destroy your high places. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6. And your altar shall be desolate and your images shall be broken And I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones round about your altars. In all your dwelling places the cities shall be laid waste. And the high places shall be desolate. That your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. And your idols be broken and cease. And your images may be cut down. And your works may be abolished. They were told to remove the high places, told to remove the idols. They didn't do it. And God said, Well, I'll use the Babylonians as an instrument in my hand, and they'll be removed. The idolatry will be removed. And so he did some conventional, we might call it, prophecy in declaring this. In the midst of all this prophesying against Israel, Ezekiel was also directed by the Lord to instruct the people, however, that God would deal with each man individually, and this is certainly one of the I think high points of the entire book of Ezekiel. It's found in Ezekiel 18. And it's one of those places within the Old Testament where there's so much is said towards Israel as a nation, but in Ezekiel 18, there's a focus on the individual. And there's a message that comes out through this, and that is, you are not either saved or damned by your nation. And you're also not saved by the faith of your parents or your grandparents. Neither are you condemned by the sin of your parents or grandparents. Sadly, some people think they've inherited Christianity because, well, my mother and father were good Christians, so I must be one. On the other hand, there are some people whose parents were not Christians and they think, I can't be a Christian because I don't know anything about this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, there's a wonderful word that comes through Ezekiel which basically says every man, every woman, will be judged by God on his or her own merit as they respond to the teachings of God. And so in chapter 18 it begins, "...the word of the Lord came unto me saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die." If you go on to read the rest of chapter 18, you'll see as the prophet teases this out, that every man will stand on his own two legs, as it were, before God. And we need to consider that today. Maybe you come from a Christian home. But whether or not you know the Lord, it can't be inherited from your parents, children. You're not, you're not necessarily going to be a Christian because your parents are Christians. You have to settle this out with the Lord for yourself. And likewise, those of you who despair because you think, I wasn't given a godly heritage. You know what happens when you're somebody who you didn't have a godly heritage? You begin the godly heritage in your life, in your family, in your household. You let it start with you. And then you're a blessing to your children. But you can't expect that they're going to be, just because you, you're you a Christian either, you can pray for them. You should evangelize, bring them to church. And God is often pleased to use this. every person will stand his own two legs before the Lord. I want to look at at another of probably Ezekiel's best known prophecy. And it's in chapter 37. This is when he was called to preach to a valley filled with dry bones. And again, this was a, a vision. It was a spiritual experience. Look at verse 37, chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. Sometimes preachers think, am I preaching to a bunch of dry bones out there? Is there any life out there? But again, this was his ministry to go to his fellow Jews who didn't, weren't showing much spiritual life, who were had, uh, engaged in idolatry, who had suffered humiliation of seeing Jerusalem, the temple fall. And He was told to prophesy to these bones. Verse 3, And He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, Thou knowest. And He said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones. And say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin. And put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so he's obedient to this. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews of flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, uh, them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and, uh, and said to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. You may know that this passage uh, became part of a, a, a popular folk spiritual back at least going back to the 19th century. Um, and you may know uh, the, the, the song as The toe bones connected to the foot bone. The foot bones connected to the heel bone. The heel bones connected to the ankle bone and on up the body. And the chorus is, dim bones, dim bones, going to walk around. Dim bones, dim bones, going to walk around. Now hear the word of the Lord. And so it was a prophecy of hope. After all the denunciations, it was a prophecy of hope that one day this lifeless nation would be restored But, of course, we who are Christians would see more than that. It's it's really a parable, isn't it, it, about regeneration, about salvation. As Paul will put it in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive in Christ. You know, you can be alive. You can have flesh and bones and be spiritually dead. So they were reconstituted, but that wasn't the finishing of it. The spirit had to be blown into them, and they had to come to life. But really, as you read on this chapter, it's about more than that. It's also a prophecy about the final resurrection. Not only is it about regeneration, but it's about the final hope. As you you look uh, in verse 12, "...therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves." And bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves. O my people. And brought you up out of your graves. The book of Ezekiel ends. With. The last uh, chapters. Chapters 40 through 48. With him having a vision. Of Jerusalem. And again. It had been destroyed. But God gave him a vision. Of it being restored. And. If you look at chapter 40 and verse 1, again, I referred to it earlier. The hand of the Lord is upon Him. And in verse 2 it says, in the visions of God, He brought He me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And so He's brought in the Spirit to see the city that was destroyed. But now God shows Him the city restored and He shows Him the temple restored. And then the book of Ezekiel ends in Ezekiel 48 with him looking on and being told the name of that city. This is Ezekiel 48 verse 35. The name of that city will be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And so in the midst of all this trouble, defeat, humiliation... It's another sign of hope. Like the vision of the dry bones, it addresses not merely the restoration of the people, the rebuilding of the city and the temple, but the ultimate city, the heavenly land that is yet to come. You know, this morning we were looking at Genesis and we ended... After looking at the opening chapters of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, by going to the very last chapter of Genesis, or Revelation, last uh, book in the Christian scriptures, and we looked at Revelation 22, I want to close this sermon up by looking at Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were, were passed away and there was no more sea. The Lord is there. And so, friends, we can remember uh, men, godly men of old, like Ezekiel. We can remember the hope that they held out in a hopeless age. And we too can hope for the city that is to come called the Lord is there. Amen? Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we do give thee thanks for thy many servants, for those men of old that you called out to be prophets, for the extraordinary servants of the past, whether they were men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, whether they were the apostles like Peter, James, and John. And we give thee thanks today that although we don't have these extraordinary officers, Prophets and apostles, we do have the ordinary officers that you have sent out and the, the, the preachers, the deacons to serve within thy church. And, oh God, we thank thee for people in every generation of thy church who have been faithful, whether they lived in times of prosperity or whether they lived in times of great difficulty and suffering and pain. And as the baton has been handed on to us in this generation, help us to be faithful. Help us to persevere in the faith. Help us to not make shipwreck of the faith, but to look unto that heavenly city. To look unto uh, the age which is to come. And so, give strength to thy people today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.